0: Welcome back, everyone, once again to another episode of Red Pill News. I hope you're having a lovely day. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. This is the first show... Of Red Pill News for 2023, January 2nd, 2023. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you being here. I have several interesting stories I want to go over with you guys today. First of all, I want to talk a little bit about January 6th and some efforts that Patriots are going through to try to help these guys out that are still behind bars. We're also, of course, going to be discussing the uh, updates in the ongoing Cary Lake election case that is now currently maybe going to be before the state Supreme Court. And then we're also going to discuss the arrest of a suspect in the uh, Idaho quadruple murders that took place in November, November 13th of 2022. An arrest has been made and I've got a lot of information for you about the alleged killer. And then finally, we're going to be discussing the likelihood of Kevin McCarthy becoming Speaker of the House because that vote is tomorrow. Now, also, check my Truth Social because I'm going to share the list of every single House of Representatives member that you need to contact and tell them we don't want a Kevin McCarthy speakership. Tell them whoever you want, but I'm sure they already have some other people in mind. So do me a favor, sit back, relax, and grab your popcorn because we're going to be right back after this. All right, guys, I want to start out today doing just a little bit of housekeeping. Thanks for sticking around, by the way. Uh, Tomorrow at 8 p.m., I am going to be doing a special live stream with Jake Lang, the January 6th prisoner. He's going to be calling into the show at 8 p.m., and we're going to be premiering his new documentary about January 6th. He also has a book coming out very soon, and so we're going to talk about that as well. But I also wanted to let you know about my friend Tim Rivers and his book, The American Gulag Chronicles, Letters from Prison. Tim was on the show uh, maybe about a month ago, and we talked about the release of this book. Well, the book is now available, and you can get a copy yourself by going to j6patriotnews.com. They are $45 a piece, and the proceeds go to assist the January 6th prisoners in their legal fight against the tyrannical DOJ under Merrick Garland. This is uh, a worthwhile Effort right here. Tim Rivers is a great guy. He's a quality individual, real American patriot, uh, and he is putting his money where his mouth is and, and helping these guys uh, to get the representation that they deserve. So I just wanted to put this on your radar. Make sure you're aware that tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern, we will be live here on this channel with my good friend, Jake Lang. I'll see you then. All right, guys, I really want to begin today by talking about the latest in the Kerry Lake case. Yes, it is still ongoing. And that's despite the fact that Katie Hobbs is scheduled to be sworn in today. Now, on New Year's Eve, Carrie Lake filed a new filing in her case. Of course, she had already filed the appeal after this case was dismissed despite explosive evidence on Christmas Eve. Now, what she's done is asked for it to be transferred from the Arizona Supreme Court to the state Supreme Court directly. Now, with Katie Hobbs taking office today, I don't know how receptive the court is going to be to this. Uh, unfortunately, it seems that a lot of people are bought and paid for in Maricopa and Arizona as a whole, but there is always a chance, and therefore, Kerry Lake has got to continue to keep trying. Now, this swearing in of Katie Hobbs today is essentially a slap in the face to all patriots in Arizona, all Republican voters, anybody who believes that this election was stolen. So many people were disenfranchised on election day, and that was shown in Maricopa County Court, uh, and the judge just decided to completely overlook everything. Now, in her filing, she states that evidence was put forward in this case, including the changing and conflicting testimony of Maricopa officials. That was perjury, in my opinion, and sworn testimony by whistleblowers employed by Maricopa. They testified to the fact that there was no chain of custody. It was just simply non-existent. Now, in Maricopa County, they failed to verify mail-in ballot signatures. They failed to keep the chain of custody for 300,000 ballots. That was more than enough to flap the race. And they caused so much chaos on Election Day because of those tabulators and the 19-inch ballots that were projected onto 20-inch paper. Tens of thousands of ballots were rejected, and it disproportionately affected Republican voters. You can take a look and the, the precincts that were being affected by this overwhelmingly were heavily weighted for Republicans. Now, It's been reported in the past that Judge Peter Thompson dismissed this case on Christmas Eve. Uh, What a Christmas present to people who were hoping to get justice. There was false testimony from the people working for Maricopa County, and it wasn't until Carrie Lake presented her evidence showing exactly why those tabulators didn't work that they came back the next day and said, oh yeah, guess what, Um, we knew that, but you know, we just thought that it wasn't going to be a big issue. Now, the fact that those ballots were 19-inch images printed on 20-inch paper I mean, that just doesn't happen by accident. It's clear that there was human manual intervention in this process. And Clay Perique who was the elections expert who testified to this fact and basically revealed it for the first time, first time I've heard it anywhere in the country, but it makes me wonder how many other places are they doing this? He admitted that the printer sections must have been changed on election day. There is simply no way for the system to suddenly decide on its own that it's going to print the wrong side ballot image on the right size ballot paper. Over 50% of the tabulators in Maricopa County failed on election day. And this caused people to either not be able to vote at all or to have to go to different precincts. And who knows what they found with 50% of the tabulators not working. Highly likely they left their precinct, went someplace else, determined that that precinct was also not working. And again, this is suspected to be an intentional act. This is the whole reason behind the Carrie Lake lawsuit. And I really, really am hoping and praying that the state Supreme Court is willing to take a look at this. Even if this case extends beyond January 2nd and Katie Hobbs swearing in, if they broke the law, if the election was manipulated in the way that we believe it was, and the court is finally willing to hear the evidence and to make a decision on it, then Carrie Lake can still be governor. And as far as I'm concerned, she is. Now, I normally don't cover true crime type stories on this channel, but I know that this case has kind of captivated the nation. It's a tragic story about four University of Idaho uh, students who were brutally murdered in their beds at night. Not a lot of information has been released about exactly what happened. We know that it was uh, a knife that was used as a murder weapon. There does appear to be a target, one of the ladies that was murdered. Uh, but Beyond that, the police in Moscow, Idaho were pretty tight-lipped. Now, some members of the families of the victims were out speaking out about this, mostly just trying to keep it in everybody's mind so that they could track down the killer very quickly. Well, over the weekend, there was an arrest that was made. And the reason I'm going to talk about it is because several people have asked me to, but also because the guy seems like he might be a lefty. So this could be an excellent opportunity to highlight the mental illness of people like this gentleman right here. His name is Brian Koberger, and he is an interesting character, to say the least. First of all, he is a criminal justice major. I guess he was getting a PhD in criminal justice. Uh, He also had uh, some strange behavior in the days and weeks leading up to and after the murder. There are some people who were friends with him, went to school with him in Washington, that have come out and stepped forward to speak about his behavior and his uh, manners and affectations. Uh, Even someone who was a childhood friend of Brian Koberger recently gave an anonymous interview to some people on YouTube. I saw that yesterday. But Brian Koberger also posted a survey, I believe it would be for his uh, research project, for his PhD, on Reddit asking uh, people who were criminals about their mental and emotional states in the moments leading up to a crime, during a crime, and then after a crime. Now, as someone who has gone through uh, the higher learning process, this isn't all that strange to me, knowing that he is a criminal justice major. But it is strange in retrospect when you realize what Brian Koberger is accused of doing. He's accused of brutally slaughtering three women and a man, college students in Moscow, Idaho, just absolutely shocking, shocking crime. Now, Brian Kohlberger's family has actually just released a statement about the University of Idaho murders and the potential for their son to be involved in this. Kohlberger is 28, and he's now been charged with four counts of first-degree murder for the alleged slayings of 20-year-old Ethan Chapin of Conway, Washington, 21-year-old Madison Mogan of Coeur Idaho, 20-year-old Zan of Avondale, Arizona, and 21-year-old Kaylee Gonclaves of Rathdrum, Idaho. This happened on November 13th, so just about two months ago now. Now, Brian Koberger's family, I- I'm sure that they would understand that there's no way that the police would have come and raided their homes uh, and uh, taken possession of his car and, 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 you know, searched everything and arrested their son if it wasn't quite uh, a, a quite pretty much a lock that this guy had actually done. There is some evidence. I'm going to go through that at the end, but my heart goes out to them. I mean, this is not an easy situation. I mean, nobody wants to be confronted with the idea that their son is a multiple murderer. Uh, This is just a a brutal and heinous crime. And you can see, I mean, these, these kids are beautiful. You know, they have their whole lives ahead of them. Uh, And uh, it's just shocking in so many ways. So they said first and foremost, most we care deeply for the four families who have lost their precious children there are no words that can adequately express the sadness we feel and we pray each day for them we will continue to let the legal process unfold and as a family we will love and support our son and brother we have fully cooperated with law enforcement agencies in an attempt to seek the truth and promote his presumption of innocence rather than judge unknown facts and make erroneous assumptions. We respect privacy in this matter as our families and the families suffering loss can move forward through the legal process. This is about the best statement you can hope to make if you are the parents of somebody who is who uh, has allegedly killed these four kids. Brian Koberger, despite the uh, alleged evidence against him, should be innocent until proven guilty. And this is something that I feel people forget all the time, okay? We are always talking about constitutional rights, where your innocence until proven guilty is one of those rights. And Brian Koberger deserves a trial. He deserves to face his accusers, which in this case are going to be the uh, prosecution and the police of Moscow, Idaho. And if they have evidence against him, that he will be convicted. I know that there is a, a, a lot of doubt in our legal system nowadays, but when it comes to a situation like this with these beautiful kids that have been murdered uh, and uh, a potential psychopath out on the run, the police and the prosecutors generally do a, a pretty, pretty good job. So uh he, Tomorrow, he was scheduled to have an extradition hearing. Now, I guess he has waived that hearing. Uh, And uh, when speaking to some of the classmates that knew him at his uh, graduate program, excuse me, his PhD program in Washington, uh, he was described as an oddball who was bullied. And as a result, he ended up bullying other people. I see that a lot. Uh, Unfortunately, people who were abused by others end up too often, growing up and committing the same acts against other people, it's like you've been made to feel less than, and the only way that you're going to be able to feel like you are worth something is if you attack people who you perceive to be littler than you, and that's definitely a problem, something that uh, that we need to deal with here in America and across the globe. I think it's kind of universal. It's part of the human condition, uh, but being able to rise above that, again, that's a sign of, uh, of emotional and mental maturity. You've got to be able to be a Productive and contributing member of society. And unfortunately, Brian Koberger just couldn't do that. Now, uh, according to a, a Washington State University classmate, uh, Brian Koberger apparently changed his demeanor around the time of the murders. Apparently, after the murders happened, he became more chatty. It was almost like he was on a high, uh, and that is something that uh, I, I believe has been uh, studied and discovered in these these types of killings. Uh, you know, the the serial killer or the multiple murderer mindset. They have this overwhelming urge to commit this act, this heinous heinous act, and then once they commit it, it's like a weight is lifted off their shoulders, and uh, you know they're probably swimming in endorphins at that point. Uh, so, what was the evidence that led to Koberger's arrest? Well. I I'm sure you all have heard about that infamous white Hyundai Elantra. That was definitely Brian Koberger's car. Uh, We have not found a murder weapon yet, and that is not surprising. I mean, uh, a bloody knife, who's going to hang on to that unless, you know, you're a real psychopath and you're going to keep a trophy or something. Uh, But the police executed search warrants at his residence in Pullman, Washington, and his parents' residence in in Pennsylvania. Apparently, he was at his parents' residence, I I guess, for the holidays. Now, this is the real kicker. This is the one that is going to be difficult for him to get past. His DNA was found at the crime scene. Now, depending on how that DNA was found at the crime scene, it could be something that could be a plausibly deniable reason. Let's say that he was dating one of these girls, although it sounds like he is unknown to the family or any of their friends. So if anything, maybe he was stalking one of these girls. But could it be argued that he was there and left DNA in a consensual manner? Very well maybe, unless it was a bunch of his blood that was found at the scene because he cut himself with his own knife as he was slaying these poor kids. Uh, also, again, he, he's waiving that extradition hearing tomorrow. Uh, this is the thing about Brian Koberger. Apparently, he is a hardcore vegan, and he has OCD-type tendencies when it comes to eating. Now, the childhood friend of Brian Koberger uh, said that at a certain point, he lost a ton of weight. He used to be over 300 pounds. I don't know how tall this guy is, but I'm 5'11", okay, So or 5'10". But I'm 5'10, 5'11, something like that. And, uh, and I weigh about 180 pounds. If I had 120 extra pounds on me, that would be way, way, way too much weight. Uh, and, uh, and the other thing is that at a certain point, Brian Koberger was addicted to heroin. Uh, now, I, it's interesting that now he is a Ph.D. student in a criminal justice program. Uh, that's something that you see all the time, too. People who uh, kind of come out of that addiction lifestyle, uh, they want to make something of themselves. They they want to uh, fight against the system that put them in that position. And that system is the availability of drugs and, and criminal activity out there. Brian Koberger could have done a lot of good, but instead... He decided to do something else, allegedly. Uh, Also, uh, we see that Brian Koberger wore gloves in public at grocery stores after he allegedly committed the quadruple murders, which could indicate that he received cuts on his hands or perhaps defensive wounds on his hands from the kids as he was murdering them. Uh, And again, he was the Ph.D. student at the Department of Criminal Justice and Criminology at Washington State University. That's in Pullman, Washington, where his residence was. And the friend of the police officer who tracked Brian Koberger said the suspected killer stalked his victims prior to allegedly stabbing them to death. That would make a lot of sense with a house with that many people. I believe there were two other kids. Uh, who were not murdered. They were sleeping at the time. Uh, and also, there was a dog. It's kind of interesting. It's always been interesting that the dog didn't bark, didn't wake anybody up. Um, but it sounds like this this was kind of a party house. These guys like to drink, you know, they, very recently, like prior to the murders, the police had shown up uh, and issued a noise complaint, told them to keep it down. And they're in college, okay? I mean, this is, it, it's not unheard of. Um, but it makes sense that Brian Kohlberger stalked them. Uh, I'm wondering if there is perhaps surveillance footage of him stalking that household or at least driving by. Uh, Pretty much everybody has some type of ring camera or security cameras on their homes now. Uh, If you're a criminal and you're thinking about doing something, you might want to think twice about it because uh, the police are able to get video from just about every angle now. We're almost like the UK at this point, except they have the government putting up cameras on every street corner. But either way, I uh, I my heart goes out to Brian Koberger's family. To the families of these kids who were murdered, and I just hope that Brian Koberger does the right thing, just pleads guilty, admits to what he did, uh, and then can give the families some measure of closure. Because uh, I know that there really there's there's no closure that's going to uh, you know help these families out in any way. I mean, they can't bring their kids back, they can't bring their siblings back if these kids had siblings, uh, and certainly the community is going to be devastated now. I mean, this is the kind of community, I guess where people felt safe before, and now they just don't feel safe. And it goes to show you, you're never really safe anywhere. Make sure that you protect yourself and protect your family. All right, and finally, Kevin McCarthy does not look like he's going to be able to become Speaker of the House. I see people out there making arguments that if Kevin is not elected Speaker of the House, we're going to have Speaker Pelosi again, or we're going to have uh, Speaker Liz Cheney again. But what everyone fails to realize is that in order to become Speaker of the House, you have to have a certain amount of votes. If you don't have that many votes, then they're going to nominate somebody else to be Speaker of the House. Now, Liz Cheney or Nancy Pelosi are not going to be able to get enough votes to become Speaker of the House. Could the Democrats and the Republicans, the deep state elements within each party, uh, align to make this happen? Uh, Theoretically, yes, they could. But I think that if they did, it would be political suicide. Because, of course, the Democrats can't vote for the Republican candidate and the Republicans damn well better not vote for the Democrat candidate. And if they choose to do that, then the people who elected them or the people who they represent, if they weren't actually elected in a legal fashion, are going to be and mad. Now, right now, I, I heard earlier today that it's actually nine votes uh, that are not going to be cast for Kevin McCarthy. Uh, But this article references at least eight conservatives. They're claiming that in order to get the country back in shape, we need a radical departure of the status quo. Now, electing Speaker Trump would be a radical departure from the status quo. That certainly could be the case. But tomorrow is the vote and I've spoken about this a number of times on the podcast before. There is historical precedence for someone not having enough votes to be Speaker of the House and for the vote to be held again and again and again until they find somebody that they can agree on. Now, there are candidates that are scheduled to be put up once Kevin McCarthy is unable to secure enough votes. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is the choice of former Speaker of the House Paul Ryan. That should tell you everything you need to know. I understand that President Trump said that we should be electing Kevin as Speaker, uh, but this is something that I disagree with him on. Uh, and uh, yes, I'm not a politician, but uh, I trust the people in the House who are going to be putting up somebody else. If it was Speaker Trump, then there's no way that he would talk about it before it happened. So uh, this is all conjecture. This is all speculation. And we just have to see how it plays out. But I guarantee you, if it's not Kevin McCarthy, it's not going to be Nancy Pelosi. It's not going to be Liz Cheney. Now, Kevin McCarthy has a questionable history. And this is one of the reasons why we can't allow him to be elected Speaker of the House. Representative Matt Gates agrees with me. He does not believe that Kevin McCarthy is the right man for the job. We have had a number of Republicans come and speak out against him. I know that some have spoken out in his uh, stead, but unfortunately, I think that maybe they are just playing a zero-sum game here. What Kevin needs is 218 votes if he wants to be Speaker. The House has 222 Republicans in it. If you minus eight or nine, there is no way that Kevin can get enough votes. It doesn't matter how many times they go back. If those eight or nine people make the decision from the get-go that they're not going to vote for Kevin McCarthy, then they're just going to have to put somebody else forward and the House is going to have to vote. Now, with Kevin McCarthy being the only person who's really been talked about recently or publicly, we don't have any idea who that is. Uh, Bob Good has been giving interviews. He spoke with uh, uh, Ivan Raiklin. He spoke with somebody else over the weekend. I shared that video on Truth Social from Misty. Thank you very much for uh, clipping that. But he hasn't said who he would be putting up instead of Kevin McCarthy. And I think that's a very smart idea. It also indicates that there's a possibility it could be a Speaker Trump nomination. But... If we want to restore the House of Representatives, it cannot be somebody like Kevin McCarthy doing it. Now, if you haven't had an opportunity to join Ivan Raikland's substack, I highly suggest you do. It's totally free to read. Uh, And he has put together a 13-part series. It's like a counterintelligence investigation of Kevin McCarthy. And, of course, the the, uh, the findings at the end are that Kevin McCarthy is unfit to serve as Speaker of the House. He was supposed to be nominated as Speaker uh, sometime in the mid-2000s. But as a result of an affair, uh, he didn't put his name forward. Now, in this 13-part series, he talks about Kevin's allegiance to the United States, foreign influence of Kevin, foreign preference that Kevin might have, his sexual behavior and his personal conduct, also financial considerations, who has bought and paid for Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy's alcohol consumption. Do we really need another teetotaler like Nancy Pelosi? Uh His drug involvement and substance misuse. Now, I know plenty of people dabble in drugs throughout their life, but is Kevin McCarthy the very definition of what Madison Cawthorn was talking about? He did come down pretty heavily on Madison when he made that statement about orgies and cocaine in Washington, D.C. Part 9 has to do with Kevin's possible psychological conditions. Part 10 is his criminal conduct. Part 11 is his handling of protected information. Part 12 is outside activities that might preclude him from being able to be Speaker of the House. And then, of course, Part 13 includes the use of information technology. Now, Ivan has color-coded them so you know which ones are the highest risk. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, from my estimation, is open to influence from foreign intelligence agencies. Kevin McCarthy could be controlled by people in Washington, D.C. as well, based upon his history and the skeletons he's got in his closet. Uh, who do you want to be Speaker of the House if it's not President Trump? Uh, what other representative in the House of Representatives do you think would do a good job? Uh, personally, I would totally be down with a Matt Gates. Uh, I would totally be down with a uh, Jim Jordan. Uh, I'd be down with a Bob Good. Even There are a ton of people that I think are solid choices that we could pick from. Uh, Maybe Lee Zeldin. I don't know. You tell me in the description below. But at the end of the day, I think we have one answer that we can agree on, and that is no Kevin McCarthy. Thank you very much. All right, my friends, that is all I've got for you today. I'm going to say it one more time. I hope you had a Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. I know 2022 was especially difficult for many of us. Here's to hoping that 2023 can be somewhat better. And the only way it's going to happen is if each and every one of us puts in the effort to try to make it that way, because it's certainly not going to happen organically. Take a look at the last several years. All right. Thank you once again. As always, this has been Red Pill 78. My name is Zach Payne, the Corruption Detector, and this was another edition of Red Pill News. Good luck, everyone, and God bless.